or tune Dave Ramsey on the radio and he talks about financial things, he's going to tell you, you better have a will. If you haven't got a will, you need to get a will. That's fine. I imagine that's right. I want to ask you about another kind of a will. Do you have what we've learned is called a living will? Do you have a living will? I'm not talking about a regular will, what they do with your possessions after you're dead. This living will, you understand the concept of that. That's a statement that you sign and have notarized and document that it is exactly what you want that tells what should happen to you if you should become desperately sick. If you have a very serious illness, it's an end-of-life sort of thing. And it's clear that nothing is really going to change the outcome. You know, they can hook you up to machines and they can keep you going long after your body has basically said, that's enough, I quit. And they can keep your heart beating, and they keep you breathing. Uh, they can even do that if your brain is dead. They can keep your body functioning. And so, because technology has advanced and they can keep you going in, in those ways, people have come to understand the need for a living will. And this living will says, you know, if, if I'm in that kind of a shape, don't put me on a respirator. If I'm in that kind of shape, don't try to restart my heart if it stops. If I'm in that kind of shape, you know, this is what I want done. A living will. So basically, you're stating in advance. You're not in that shape yet, obviously, but you're stating in advance that if I get in that shape, this is what I want you to do. Okay. We understand the idea of a living will. This morning, I want to talk to you about your other life. Not your physical life, but your spiritual life. And I want to suggest to you that maybe a living will might be appropriate in regards to our spiritual life. If we get in real serious spiritual trouble, what do we want done in that possibility? So this morning I want to talk with you about that for a few minutes. Now before we develop that any further, let me stop here for a minute to join with Yancey in greeting everybody on this beautiful Lord's Day, especially thankful for our visitors. We're glad that you have come our way. Uh, come back every time you have a chance to be here. Ask any questions you have about what we're doing here at College View. We're glad you're here. We appreciate you very much. We're glad for every worshiper this morning. We're glad that we have this chance to come together to, to offer honor and glory to our Father in Heaven. That's what we're primarily about. And so this is a great chance to be able to do that, but also to be edified and encouraged and built up every one. That's what we want to happen too. So thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of this worship this morning. All right, so the idea of a living will. I want to put it to you this way. And I have actually called this a membership questionnaire. So you're a member of the Lord's body. I'm talking to those who are Christians this morning. Uh, and if you're not yet a Christian, uh, we certainly want you to consider your need to obey the gospel plan of salvation. We'll mention that later. But this lesson this morning is directed toward those of us who are already Christians. And if you're already a Christian, wonder if we put forward a questionnaire to you. What do you want us to do if it becomes clear that you're manifesting signs of spiritual weakness, uh, that, that you're becoming unfaithful, that you're maybe falling away? So I want you to get the premise here. The premise is we're asking you, what do you want us to do? Now, we hope you never get in that sort of situation. We hope that you never get to where you're struggling spiritually and um, maybe on the verge of falling away entirely. We hope that never happens. But if it were to happen, 
what would you want us to do in that kind of a situation? The reason we're asking this is because we've had plenty of experience with people who are in that circumstance. They've grown very weak. They're becoming unfaithful. They're falling away from, from serving the Lord. But when people try to help them to address that situation, they get angry. They get mad. And so what we would like to know before that eventuality ever takes place, and we pray that it never would in your case, but before it ever takes place, would you tell us right now, what do you want us to do if you get in that condition? You see the principle? You see the principle we're trying to develop? It's sort of a living will for your spiritual life. In regards to your spiritual life, and you're in really bad shape, what do you want us to do? Tell us now. Tell us now so that we'll know how to act in accordance with your wishes when that takes place. You see the principle we're trying to develop? Pretty simple, but I think it's appropriate. All right, let's begin. And I'm going to, I'm going to preach this as though it's me, okay? This is my living will. And you, you make application to yourself. But as I start this, I want to agree that the salvation of my eternal soul is the single most important thing in my life. There is nothing else that matters. As has been said so often, you miss heaven, you simply missed it all. If you're lost eternally in hell, nothing else matters. My eternal salvation is the single most important consideration in my life. Now, I'm saying that right now. I'm not saying that later on, maybe when I am struggling and unfaithful. But right now, I'm willing to agree and acknowledge that being saved eternally is the only thing that ultimately matters. I know that nothing else can compare in importance to my soul. Jesus put it this way in Mark chapter 8, beginning verse 36, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus asked a couple of questions there. We would refer to these as rhetorical questions. The answers are so obvious, you don't even have to give the answer. The answer is, if you gained the whole world and lost your soul, you'd be making a terrible trade. And there's nothing that you could exchange for your soul that would be a fair exchange, that would be worth it. If you had all the wealth of the world, if you gained the whole world and yet lost your soul, nobody's ever gained the whole world. But if you were able to gain the whole world and lost your soul, you'd be making a terrible bargain. I know this. Right here, right now, today, I know that that is a true statement. And so my living will that I'm going to express here, my living will is based upon the understanding I acknowledge this, that there's nothing else as important as my soul. In our reading, Ethan read for us from Philippians chapter 3. And the Apostle Paul surely understood this because he had, in fact, suffered the loss of all his considerable possessions. The indication is that Paul was once a wealthy man, certainly a powerful and influential Jew in Jerusalem, and he had put that all aside. He had let it all go in order to serve Christ. He said in Philippians 3, beginning verse 7, What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in Him, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul said, I, I gave it all up. But you know, as he stated that there, there's no regret. He's not saying he's sorry he did that. He understood 
that being saved eternally is the most important thing. We won't be sorry either. If we put God first, if we live faithfully for Him, if we're able to have heaven in eternity, everything that we had to do to get there will be worth it. And that being the case, we need to keep first things first. And so, this living will, and again, I'm, I'm preaching this as though it's me. I'm, going to, I'm putting this forward. You have to do the same thing. But I'm, everything I'm going to say is based upon the fact that I understand this. And since I do understand that this is true, then in the event that I begin to fall away, and you see that, you observe me, you, you realize things are not good. Greg's not doing well. He's struggling spiritually. He's not being faithful to his Lord. If you begin to see that in me, then I want to ask you to do some things for me. Please. Please do these things for me. Because, again, the reason I'm asking you to do this for me is because of this. The salvation of my soul is the only thing that really matters. And therefore, if the salvation of my soul is in jeopardy, I want you to do these things for me. The first thing that I want to ask you to do is to pray for me. Uh... Uh, when you think about prayer, prayer is a, an obvious need. Oh, oh, excuse me. Hang on. Back up. I'm going, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up here. I'm going to ask you to do several things in conjunction with this understanding. Now, the reason I'm going to ask you to do that, go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Um, I want you to do this for me. I want you to save my soul from death. Uh, so, again, if I'm erring from the truth, come and convert me because I want you to save my soul from death, okay? And so, that, again, that's the principle. Do something for me if you see me in trouble. Don't ignore that situation. You know, to do nothing uh, would not be the loving thing to do, right? To do something is necessary to help me save my soul. So again, my soul salvation is the most important thing. I want you to do some things for me. Convert me. Turn me back. Bring me back. Save my soul from death. One of those things that I want you to do for me is to pray for me. This is a simple request, but I really think it is so important. The fact of the matter is, we all ought to be praying for one another all the time. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning verse 18, Paul says, "...praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." So this is not just talking about saints who are falling away, but certainly saints who are in trouble spiritually would be the, among those would be some of the ones that we ought to be praying for. If you see me faltering spiritually, especially, come and pray for me. It's so important that you approach God on my behalf. Uh, I'm asking you to do that because prayer works. James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So by all means, pray for me. That's a simple first request. I hope you're praying for me anyway, but man, if I'm in trouble spiritually, be diligent in prayer in my behalf. Secondly, I want you to contact me. I want you to try and be in touch with me. I want you to encourage me. Now, as I'm asking for this, 
I want you to be aware of the fact that if, if I am in that kind of a spiritual condition, it's very likely that I will try to push back, you know. You're trying to contact me. You're trying to encourage me. But I may try to push back and say, hey, listen, buddy, it's none of your business. Leave me alone. Stop hounding me. Stop troubling me. But I'll tell you something. That's typical of people who are in spiritual trouble, right? People in spiritual trouble will say, this is none of your business. Leave me alone. So I may get there. You know, here I am. I'm in big trouble. I'm, I'm really struggling spiritually and I'm falling away. I'm asking you right now, you contact me. You come and encourage me, even though I may try to push you away by saying it's not your business. I know at this juncture, I know it is your business. And I want you to come, even though I may not be wanting it at that time. Please ignore my foolish arguments to the contrary. If I'm falling away and I tell you, leave me alone, it's none of your business, you just ignore that, okay? I'm asking you right now, you ignore that and you come on. You come on and try to help me. You see what I'm saying? I can say that now. I might not say that then, but just ignore me then because right now I'm telling you how it really is. I want you to come to me and try to encourage me. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, the Hebrew writer says, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. There where it says exhort one another, the New American Standard Version simply says encourage one another day after day. And we need to be doing that. That's our duty to each other. And it is especially our duty to one another if we see a problem. Don't ignore those problems. In Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, rather, 1 Corinthians 12, beginning verse 25, the Apostle Paul speaks of a body analogy. And he's really saying that we as members of the Lord's church are in His body. And just as our physical body cares for its fellow members, we ought to care for one another. Notice he says here in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning verse 25, there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. You know, if you hurt yourself, if, if, you, if you cut your little finger... What do you do? Well, that's a fairly insignificant member. I'm not worried about that. I'll just ignore that little finger. No. I tell you, if I hurt my little finger, my whole body gets busy tending to that little finger to try and make it well again, right? And that's what Paul is suggesting here. We are a body. And we're supposed to care for one another. And so if I'm suffering, uh, other Faithful Christians are suffering too. Here I am a Christian, and I'm not doing well. I'm hurting spiritually. But what Paul is saying here is the fact that I'm hurting spiritually means that we are all hurting spiritually because we're a body. And if one member suffers, all suffer with it. And so it is your business if I'm doing poorly in the spiritual realm. It is your business because I'm a part of the same body you are. And just like you would care for a physical member like your little finger if it was hurt, then you ought to care for any other member of this spiritual body. It is your business because we're all one body. It's your business. And so, again, uh, please just ignore me if when you come to me to encourage me, I try to tell you, although it's not true, I try to tell you, leave me alone. It's none of your business. Because that's not right. It is your business. Make it your business. Just ignore me when I tell you to leave me alone and keep coming to me with help and encouragement, okay? I want you to spend time with me.
If I'm hurting spiritually, please spend time with me. I want to tell you what is a reality. Uh, And I'm sure if you would think about it, you would agree. I'm stronger when I am in the company of fellow Christians. I'm just stronger. Uh, Temptations are not nearly as powerful when I'm around other faithful Christians. Now, when I'm around people of the world, I'm weaker. People who are not serving God faithfully present temptations to me, and I'm weaker in their presence, but I'll tell you, I'm stronger in your presence. I'm stronger. And that being the case, then I want you, if I'm, if I'm hurting, I'm, I'm giving you my spiritual living will. And standing right here today, I'm telling you, if you see me in big trouble spiritually, please devote some time to me. Spend time with me. Because that will help me be stronger. As you're spending that time with me, hold me accountable. You know, one of the, one of the great advantages of being with other Christians is we hold one another accountable to do the right thing. So you be with me and you hold me accountable. Even the Apostle Paul needed the association with other Christians. In Acts chapter 18, Paul was in the city of Corinth and apparently it was a pretty scary situation. The persecutors were really after him. And it was so much so that the Lord saw a need to appear to Paul in a vision. In Acts 18, verse 9, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Paul was to be strengthened by the knowledge there were others in the same circumstance as him. There were others trying to do the same things he was doing. There were others who were right there with him. And even the Apostle Paul needed to be encouraged and strengthened by knowing you've got brethren here. They'll help you. I think one of the most touching requests, one of the maybe saddest statements in all the New Testament is in 2 Timothy 4. In 2 Timothy, that's the last epistle Paul wrote. We think probably written just before he was executed for for the cause of Christ. And near the end of that, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, his close personal friend. He, he had like a father-son relationship with Timothy. And he says to Timothy, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Do the, and this, I think, just tops it off when he says, Do thy diligence to come before winter. Just please come. I need somebody here. I need somebody beside me. I need someone to strengthen me. Do thy diligence to come before winter. I'm asking that same thing. Spend time with me. You see me struggling and falling away. Don't forsake me. Draw closer to me. Spend time with me. Because I'm stronger when I'm with you. Please help me that way. I want to say in very plainest terms, if I am not being faithful to God, I want you to come and warn me. Uh, if you saw me unwittingly approaching some physical danger, wouldn't you warn me? Let's say that we're out hiking in the mountains, and I'm kind of walking backwards and talking and carrying on, and just in front of me there's a cliff. And if I walk, keep walking in the direction I'm going, I'm going to step off the edge of that cliff and, and fall thousands of feet to my death. If you saw that, if you saw me in a situation where my physical life was in peril, wouldn't you do anything in your power to warn me? 
to keep me from falling off that cliff? Wouldn't you want me? I sure hope you would. I, I, I hope you would do that to a total stranger. We don't want anybody to see anybody suffer unnecessarily in a physical sense like that. If you saw a danger come up, you would warn, right? You would warn such a person. Well, that's what I'm asking you to do. Use powerful language to warn and rebuke me, to tell me about where I'm headed. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. That's simple. That's direct. You warn me. And I really believe that that is so needful. In Jude, verse 23, in the 23rd verse of the short book of Jude, Jude says, Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Notice, pulling them out of the fire. The New American Standard Version there uses the expression, snatching them out of the fire. It's talking about spiritual dangers, isn't it? And sometimes you just got to snatch people out of the fire. If you saw someone in a burning house and you had the chance to save them, I don't think the person who's being saved from that burning house would be too worried about how you did it. So that person snatches you up. And maybe they jump and crash through a plate glass window to get you out of that burning building. If you were saved from a physical fire, someone just snatches you up. Maybe they crash through a glass. Maybe you end up with some cuts on you. Maybe, And the glad they broke the glass. You think that you would complain about that? You know, you think you'd say, you didn't do that right. I wish you'd have done that a different way. You know, you could have got me to the back door. If you'd have been, if you'd have, if you'd have been a little more careful, we could have dodged around through the flames and you could have got me out the back door. And I'm just upset that you broke the window and jumped through the window with me. No. If someone snatched you out of a fire, you would not complain about how they did it. Now listen to me. Listen carefully. If someone snatched you out of a fire, you would not complain about how they did it. We've had some episodes where people were in the fire spiritually. And when some of us tried to snatch them out of that fire, you know what they did? They complained about how we did it. They said, you didn't do that right. You didn't do that right. You need to do that different. Listen, you're in the fire. You don't care about how somebody does it. You just want to get out of the fire. You hear me about that? Snatch them out of the fire. Now, I'm talking to you about me. If I'm in the fire, you come get me out of that fire. Please, come and warn me and get me out of that fire and I don't care how you do it. If you have to come after me with a baseball bat, come on! Come on! Get me out of the fire, please. Do you see what I'm asking you? Do you see that? Could I ask that there never again be a complaint at College View wherein someone says, you didn't do that right. Now, we'll try our best to do it right. But if you're in the fire, and we come and get you out of that fire, then you'd be grateful for that, okay? Does that make sense? Snatch them out of the fire. That's what we've got to do. Why? Why is that so important? Because it's like what Peter said in 2 Peter 2, beginning verse 20. If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome... 
The latter end is worse with them than the beginning, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. The reason why it's so important for you to come and help me, to warn me, is because if, if I continue on my present course, then I would be in a worse shape than I was before I even knew the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd be like a sow returned to wallowing in the mire. The dog could consume his own vomit again. Now, that's a graphic picture. But if I'm falling away, that's where I'm headed. And I need you to come and warn me about that and tell me just how terrible the situation is. Actually, it's our job assignment. You have this job for me and I have this job for you. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We have this job for one another, and let's not forsake it. And so in my living will, I'm humbly asking you right now, if you see me in that shape, you come and warn me. And then finally, if everything else fails, I want you to withdraw yourself from me. I'm asking you that right now. Now, I'm not in that situation right now, thankfully. But if I get in that situation, I'm asking you right now. And you've gone through this course of action. You've tried your very best to get me to do the right thing. And I'm not willing to do the right thing. I will not back down. I will not repent. And I continue on my evil course. I'm telling you right now, I want you to withdraw yourselves from me. That's my request. I'm asking you now, please do that. Now, again, if I'm in that circumstance, I, get, I might get mad at you if you do that. But that'd be me speaking from the foolishness of sin. But right now, while I'm in my right mind spiritually, I'm saying, please withdraw from me if I won't repent. Because I know, if I'm honest, that that's a last-ditch effort to make me realize just how serious my condition is. I think all of these things would be an indication of your love for me. If you would pray for me, if you would contact me with encouragement, if you would spend time with me, if you would urgently warn me of the spiritual dangers I'm facing, I would say every one of those things constitutes a sign of your love for me. I want to tell you that one does too. That one does too. That if you would, if everything else has failed and you can't get me to do the right thing, if you would withdraw from me in this last urgent effort to convince me of my unfaithfulness, that'd be a sign of love too. I'm saying that right now. I understand that that's the case. The statements of Scripture about this are very plain. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul was talking about a situation in that Corinthian church that was just like that. They had this man who was unfaithful. They hadn't done anything about it. He's telling them, you've got to do this. What's the reason? So that that man could be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Do this with the hope that you could turn him to repentance. Do this to save his soul. Do you love him? He says, do that. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning verse 14, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Do you see it? Admonish him. He's not our enemy. He's our brother. And we're admonishing him. I'm your brother. And if I get in that shape, you shouldn't just let me slip away without a word. I want you to come to me. 
And if all else fails, I want you to withdraw from me. You know, that command, which is so plain, is seemingly mostly ignored. Even among our own brethren, many churches never withdraw from anyone. They let them slip away without ever making this last-ditch effort to restore them. They let them slip away without doing everything they could to save their soul. Well, I'm asking you, if I get in that shape, please, take that step too. Do everything you can, including that, to try and restore me. Alright, a living will. You understand the concept of a physical living will. What to do with my body. If I get in in a bad shape, here's what I want you to do. I won't be in my right mind then. But right now I'm telling you, don't put me on the respirator. Don't don't restart my heart if it stops beating and so on and so forth. You understand? This is a spiritual living will. I want to ask you right now, do you agree with the points that we made? As you sit there this morning, do you agree that these are appropriate actions that ought to be taken to me if I fall away? And then quickly turn that around to you. Do you agree that these would be appropriate steps to take for you if you began to fall away? You got any argument with the plan? It's a God-given plan, isn't it? You willing to sign that? Willing to sign that living will? Willing to say yes. Right now, I'm willing to sign that. Now, I might, in the future, if I'm really desperately weak spiritually, I might try to argue the points, but right now, with what I know and understand, I'm, I'm making this my spiritual living will. Would you sign it? You know, not long ago, someone suggested maybe we ought to actually print out such a thing. And get every member. That's why I called this up here at the top. This is why I called this a membership questionnaire. Someone suggested that it might even be a good idea. Print this off and get get members to sign it and stick it away in a file. And then, heaven forbid that it should ever happen, but then if you did become spiritually weak and falling away and we tried to restore you and you started complaining about it, We would just pull this out and say, well, you know, you told us this is what... We're just doing what you ask us to do, right? I don't think we're going to do that. But I think that that might... That's just an interesting thought. If you agree now that this is what ought to be done, then don't, please don't be upset if faithful brethren try to do that in the awful circumstance that you become weak and falling away spiritually. You see what we're saying? I hope it makes sense. And I hope it causes us all to think. To think about our duty to one another and to think about the single most important thing of all, and that is having heaven as our eternal home. What's your situation this morning? Our lesson's been directed toward those of us who are already Christians. So we'll just ask you Christians, as we sing this song, is your life right with God? If it's not, then don't linger in that circumstance. Make your life right with God through repentance, confession, and prayer. If you're not yet a Christian, this lesson didn't talk about the plan of salvation, but it may be that there's someone here this morning that already knows what they ought to do to be saved. Uh, And if that's the case and you're ready to obey the gospel, we're ready to assist you. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.